This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. It is Monday. It is 11 minutes after 7. Time to bring in Don Robertson into the conversation, a man of many uh, talents and fingers in the pie in Dundas and other places around town. Sir, thanks for coming in. Scott, great place to be. A uh, lot of things I want to talk to you about, but um, let's start with what I think is uh, what a lot of people talked about after this weekend. Uh, we do live in Hamilton. We do have the Hamilton Tiger Cats in town. The Hamilton Tiger Cats right now look about as appealing aesthetically as, um, I don't know, I'll allow everyone to f- plant their own simile or metaphor in there, whatever they want to do, but uh, didn't look so good. But there's a couple of things with this that I want to ask you about. First of all, in the middle of the game, it was a very frustrating game, I understand, but in the very middle of the game, Will Hill, who is a defensive player on the team, uh, who had been flagged for a couple penalties, one which was at least one which was questionable, I grant you, it was probably not a penalty, but he got called for it, lost his cool altogether and got up right in the referee or one of the officials' faces and grabbed the official by the collar with his face about six inches away from the guy. It was, I I could describe it in no other terms other than to say it was a real strong attempt at intimidation of an official. I mean, I, I can't think of another way. You've seen the video. What should happen to a player who grabs an official by the shirt and puts their hands on an official, period. I mean, th- there are accidents. This was not an accident. What should happen to a guy like that? No, it was no accident. Um, if it's his first offense, which I don't far know, as I know. I don't know if it is. but it Although was, it may not have even been his first offense in the game. There's another video where, no, again, them. it looked like his hand made contact with an official, although that one's very difficult to tell if it was intentional or not. Yeah, the one where he grabbed him by the uh, collar of the official sweater. Generally... Speaking, you look at anywhere from 25 to 50% of the schedule. Um, and I would think that the new commissioner is going to go, geez, great week to start. Yeah. Um, an offensive lineman played the game, now has to have uh, the referees and the umpires' backs. Uh, if he doesn't get this one right, he's going to be in trouble. Now, there may be a benchmark in the in the book for it saying that it's going to be a minimum of so many games for touching an official or making contact. Well, do you remember what happened last year with the Ticats? Kent Austin slapped a referee's hand down, and he got a game in the press box. So he couldn't be on the sideline and was not allowed to be... I don't know. I can't remember if he was allowed to be communicating. I don't think he was allowed to be communicating with the sideline. So he got a, a game, basically, as a coach. And he slapped them. This guy grabbed them by the scruff of the neck, by the collars of his... This, this guy's in trouble. Yeah, Ken because Austin's if they do not hand out a fairly substantial suspension, the referees, who are not particularly held in high esteem in the CFL, unfortunately, um, are going to – there's going to be guys slapping them around all the time. If all you can do is grab that guy and you, you only get that game in the next one, holy crap, they're going to have to put helmets on the referees. I mean, they've got to give him 25% to 50% of the season – and to send a real message is to throw him out. Well, Ken Austin, if you remember last year, when he got the suspension, the, his defense was that it was unintentional. He went to make a like a gesture, and he accidentally made contact. And, and so if you believe that defense, and that was still worth a game, you have to believe 
that there's no defense here that I accidentally, my hand went into a spasm around his collar. Like there's no accidental defense here. So it has to be more than that. Okay. So the, he got away with one earlier on where his hand ended up in the official's face. Cut him some slack that I was an accident. He got nothing for that. Right. Then you grab him and look like you want to pick him up by the by the collar of his sweater. You're not getting out of that one very easily. Okay. The the new commissioner made a point last week when he was having his, and he was on here. You can hear his interview. He was on here with Ted Michaels this afternoon. Ted was filling in for Scott Thompson. You can find it at 900 CHML on the Scott Thompson show. You can hear that interview with the new commissioner. But one of the things he made a real point of, he's a former player, and he said, we want to turn the athletes into stars. We want to put the spotlight on the athlete. Does he run into problems if the first decision he has to make is to give a two, three, four, or longer game suspension to a guy? See, I don't, I don't, I don't see how it can be anything shorter than two and, re- and retain any level of credibility as a disciplinarian. I don't see how he can. But after that, is he going to run into problems if the first thing he has to do is discipline a player? Well, he's uh, first of all, I think he's talking about the premier players, right? He's talking about the Doug Fluties of the world and of that ilk. You want the fans to only be talking about the premier players, uh, Claris and all those guys. That's yep. what you know what I'm talking yep. about. So you have to protect the officials. And it was oh, a lot of years ago. You'd have been just a young scrapping boy, strapping boy. I think it was Tom Lysiak got 21 yes. games for uh, tripping a linesman. And that was, and there was question was, even at that time because it was off a face-off. Yep, came and in he right in behind his, him. Pulled his stick back and pulled, and, and as I recall, Tom Lysiak, he was playing for the Atlanta Flames at the time, uh, said that it was accidental, that he, but he got, yeah, you're right, 21 games for that. And that's what you have to do. You and that was a quarter, to, that's 25%. That's what you're saying. It's a quarter of the season. As soon as you can start grabbing the officials, which is what happened, and to what doesn't matter to what extent. I mean, if you grab an official the way he did to prevent him from falling over someone to hold him up, maybe you get a gold star. That wasn't the case here. He was pissed, and he was going to give him what for, and and heavens knows what he said to him along with his little, like who knows what the diatribe was along with grabbing him. So so what happens then, Don? I mean, you've been in sports a long, long time. You've been as a as a coach, as an official, as an administrator on, with the league. What happens if he comes back with a suspension that is one game, let's say? If he comes back with this, what I believe is softer than the softest possible touch. Because I think two would be the barest, barest, barest minimum, and I think a lot of people would agree with that. But if he comes back less than that, okay, so what here, does that do? Here's two things that happen. First of all, uh, that's not near enough. But if the uh, commissioner decides it's one game, he's now set the bar. That That is the commissioner's now, that's his template for grabbing an official. So every time a guy gets upset with an official's call, he knows if I grab him, I'm only missing one game. So you watch these guys start grabbing the referees. It's not going to become an epidemic, but it will be no deterrent. The ref, the officials will not be as safe as they should be. And it's the commissioner's job to protect them and protect their, their integrity as well. And if he won't protect their integrity, 
like I'd said, the, um, the it would create a problem. I wouldn't be surprised if he gave him one game. Well, I absolutely guarantee it. As a former referee in hockey, if uh, if if an incident like that happened, the chatter on the phones and on texts and everything else amongst the group will be tremendous. And it, it may, in fact, lead to saying, you know what, if you don't respect this, you get somebody else to referee these games because they have to stick up for themselves. So, there, I mean, there will be a tremendous backlash from the officials' association and the officials themselves and say, that's how you got my back? You kidding me? Guy grabs him by the scruff of the neck. You give him one game. That's that's how you're protecting me. Is this a t- you sort of jokingly at the beginning, half jokingly said that you know you you don't know that you would want to be in his spot these days. Is this honestly? Is this just about the worst possible scenario for a new commissioner to come into the league on week one and have to deal with this? Is there some? Is there a worse kind of scenario that you would have to have? Because here, yeah, the Argos fold. Fair enough. I'm talking about discipline. Close, though. No, no, I'm talking about a discipline kind of thing. Because here you've got the officials involved, you've got a team involved, you've got the Players Association involved. There's a lot of people with a stake in what decision he makes here. I can't think of, as far as a discipline scenario goes, short of maybe going the further step and slugging an official. But I'm just talking on something that is on a reasonable... Well, your first week on the job... I can't think of something tougher. I don't imagine he slept... A whole lot Saturday night going. It wasn't this great. How do we get out of this jam, right? And there's and you can't call the former commissioner because it didn't happen under his watch. Nothing did. You know what I mean? Like they there's there, there's not a lot of precedent, recent precedent, and thankfully they, they don't right. yeah they don't keep commissioners long enough to have much of a history with this. You had on a totally related yet unrelated note when you started a hockey league. 20 years ago, roughly, the United, the Colonial Hockey League, which became yep. the United Hockey League. Your first ever game, I remember this because I covered it, your first ever game in Brantford, you had, I was sitting in the press box next to Bob Myers, the former NHL referee who you had lured out of having a nice life on the farm in retirement <laughs> to be the commissioner. And the first game, some guy went by your bench and swung his stick or went by the other team's bench, I can't remember, Tomahawk style. And just missed decapitating the coach. And I just remember looking over at Bob Myers who dropped his head and he said, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and I'm guessing that's a lot of what Mr. Randy Ambrosi is thinking right now. What have I got? I mean, it's, it'll blow, it'll, it, he'll have more stuff than this, but it's, this is a tough one. This is as tough a thing for your first decision as I can imagine. It really <coughs> is. I, I, I don't. Well, I don't, if it had been, if it had been a play that you hit the other team's quarterback and injured him late. That one, yeah, you know what? Yeah, but, they, but, but they're there's say, precedent for that, and there's I know there's fighting between the teams, and they'll disagree. But that to me is more clear cut. This is but unique. that's that's a play during the game. Yes, but you still it's have a to, late hit. You have to deal with it. But it was still a football play, right? This was not a football play. This was a undisciplined player, uh, seemingly on a team that doesn't have a, a, a high level of discipline at this point, anyway. And are probably zero and two only because they haven't played three games yet, and so you're right. This is a tough one. And sometimes uh, was it Pilar for the Blue Jays that the Blue Jays suspended this year? Yes, yes. He made a comment, and they suspended him themselves. The Blue that Jays be, stepped in and suspended him. That see now that's a really interesting point, Don. We got to go to break in a second, but that's a really interesting point. There is no question when you watch the video 
what happened with Will Hill. He grabbed the official by the collar. That is a very interesting point, is whether or not the Tiger Cats should wait for the CFL or say, this is not something that we accept from our players. Kent Austin, after the game, says, we will not be having guys on this team with lack of discipline. Well, then, should he just, the Tiger Cats, then he just cut him. Should the Tiger Cats be stepping up? And even if they don't want to cut him, if they believe he's too good a player to be cut, should they be saying, he is that does not represent the Tiger Cat way. We are personally suspending him, and the league can do with him what they want afterwards, but he's not playing the next two games. That, to me, that, to me, would be a statement. And I haven't seen that happen. Maybe it happened while we've been on the air here. I don't know, but that hasn't happened yet. I don't know if the standard players' contact I don't know. contract would provide for that. Maybe not. They, they they may have an out there, but that, that to me would be, well, look, if, if Kent Austin says that we will not have undisciplined players playing on this team, that suggests that he has the door open to cut guys or to discipline guys how he wishes to do. He made C.J. Gable a healthy scratch this week. He has the choice of who he's going to play or not going to play. So whether you say it's for this or whether you're going to say it's, well, we want to put someone else in the lineup, there's ways that they could do it. That, to me, would be a really interesting point and a really illuminating position for a team to take. This does not represent us. I know you don't have any time, but he didn't do it to himself last year, so. Fair point. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Don, let's stick with that football for just a second because there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about with the uh, the Ticast. Now, it's way early, and it's this question, I grant you, is somewhat irrelevant at this moment, but I still always find it interesting. The Ticats are 0-2. They will be facing for their next four games four very, very good Western teams. BC, Edmonton, Calgary, Edmonton. It is a very tough schedule for the next four weeks. I'm not... I don't know if they're going to put they they could pull their act together and could end up winning a couple of those or more. They could go 0 and 4. We don't know. But let's pretend for just a second that they go 0 and 4. So they are now 0 and 6 on the season. The way the CFL is with 9 teams with 4 teams in the East and only one team missing the playoffs. That 0 and 6 schedule in the NFL would be the end of your season. You'd be done. In a lot of leagues, starting 0 and 6, you would be just about done. <coughs> In the CFL, you get a couple players back from injury before the, around the time of Labor Day, and you warm up and you get your team going. You can very easily get into the playoffs and then keep rolling and go to the Grey Cup and potentially win the Grey Cup. Is that a good thing for the league that it doesn't really matter until Labor Day because everyone then has a chance, or is it a bad thing for the league because it doesn't really matter until Labor Day? I don't think it's a stellar thing for the league. I mean, when you, I mean, if you start zero and six, it's know, hard, but you a, can do it. Yeah, but if you start zero and six in a league that plays eighty games, or if, or if you're a baseball team in Toronto and you're like one in ten, but you still got one hundred and fifty games to go, that's not bad. No, but you got eighteen games in your own six, so a third of your schedule is gone. So you play a third of your schedule and don't have a win yet, and you can go to the Grey Cup. Without go without going twelve and zero for the rest of it, I don't think that's a particularly good thing. It's an image situation, but we all know that the CFL is a gate driven league, and but I've always maintained, even in in leagues that I've been in, that everybody shouldn't make the playoffs, and it shouldn't be easy to get in the playoffs. 
because your attendance will be all right if, if the enthusiasm there is to try and get into them. But if the only reason for letting multiple teams into the playoffs is for the gates, the gates are likely suffering. And we were a fifth-place team in, in our league last year and played Brantford and beat them out two straight and went on to, uh, to the semifinals. But, you know, our struggles throughout the year hurt us at the gate. I mean, there was no miraculous attendance on our playoff game. And if you're kind of wet in the bed all year, you're likely not going to sell out for that playoff game. History proves that. That's, Of course that's true. I, I'm looking at it more from a competitive thing. And there is a there is something to be said for the league that keeps pretty much nearly every team into the mix until the end. There's something to be said for that. You Again, if this was the NFL and the Ticats were to go 0-6, it's pretty difficult to rouse up a whole lot of interest in the fans at that point because you're done. In the, in, the, in the NFL, where it's a 16-game schedule and fewer than half the teams get in, you're 0-6. You are completely and absolutely out of it. There's no interest in that team from that point. So that's one thing. So that's, that can be a positive thing that, that you still have a chance. I just wonder whether it's really healthy that you look and you say, basically until Labor Day, it's just an extended exhibition season. What was their what was their record in, in the first six last year? I don't remember. It wasn't stellar. I can't remember. But was the first year, and I'm going to look this one up. But the first year they made it to the Grey Cup, did they not start one and six? Something like that. I think that. they did. It was a slow start, and then they with Ken Austin, and then they they picked up and they got better. So if you're a Ticat fan, you say, no, this was terrific. This was great because look, we were one and six, and we were able to get in, and we almost won. We, I mean, it was. The first year was, you know, they played Saskatchewan in Regina. They were never, no team was going to beat Saskatchewan in that great cup game. But the reality is you could say, okay, that was a really good thing. I just, I don't love, here's what I think should happen. I've long believed this. A lot of CFL traditionalists take great issue with this. That's fine. I believe there should be one division. There should be nine teams, one division, and the top six teams get in. The first two get a bye and the other four play. So if the bottom three teams are all Eastern teams or the bottom three teams are all Western teams, they don't make it. The best six teams get in. And that makes all the games throughout the year matter. Because then if you start 0-6, even if you have a good second half, you're probably at best going to finish fifth or sixth. And you're going to have to A, play more games, and B, go on the road, and C, play the best team in the league in the playoff. That makes it fair for the team that's done really well, but it also makes every single game crucial. And I think that's what's missing. It could mean that you could have a great cup where it's West versus West or East versus East. But I truly believe that in the modern world with internet and TV and cable and cell phones and everything else, we don't really have an East-West rivalry in this country anymore. It's not like the old days. If it's Calgary versus Edmonton in the great cup and they're the two best teams, great, let's have that. I don't see a problem yeah, with that. It's hard to argue that you don't want your two best teams in the final. And uh, and it's also well known that more often than not, the Grey Cup game, although we've had a lot of beauties, uh, is not the best playoff game. And it's the same in every sport. You know, the Blue Jays go to the World Series. Their best series may not be the World Series. I mean, the best series to watch. But I, I think you bring a lot of merit to it. And you can have an unbalanced schedule. You still don't have to play everybody the equal amounts, right? Toronto and Hamilton should play more often. Montreal and Ottawa should play more often. Calgary, Edmonton should play more often. Um, well, I would certainly hope they would do this. They won't, but I would certainly hope they would do this if they can somehow down the road somewhere add one more team. Because if you could have 10 teams in the CFL, 
That means each team has nine opponents, and you have an 18-game schedule. That means a home and away for every single team. That's you. There's your schedule right there, and then the top six teams get into the playoffs. You better not show up at the start of the year unready to play. The the, the challenge with that is 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 that the the stadiums are not traditionally sold out, and the Argos. Can you imagine how many people the Argos would have had if they hadn't have played the Ticats the first game? But you know what? Get better. Fill your stadium. Ticats should do the same thing. It shouldn't matter who they play. Some of those NFL stadiums, if they go 0-6, the stadiums are still full all year. Well, because they they have season tickets. So they have 70,000 season tickets or whatever it is, and then they sell the other ones ahead of time. But, yeah, you're but right. But they still go. But they, You're right. Plus, you've paid an exorbitant amount of money to go. But you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. I just don't love I, – I get what the benefit is. I just don't love the idea, whether it's the Ticats. Imagine it's the other way around. All right? Now, we're talking about the Ticats as being on the weaker end of this this year. So far. So far. But imagine if it's the other way around. Imagine if we started the year and the Ticats were obliterating everybody. And you're looking down the thing and you're going, wait a second, why should the Ticats not – benefit from this if the year ends and we finish and, and Hamilton finishes 14 and four and there's a team that squeaks in no. why should you not get to be able to play them even if they may be in the west in the first round because that would be your best advantage somebody's going to be four and 14 and you're going so why did we have to win an extra 10 games what's the reward for that exactly and if you're in one of the divisions that has like last year where the west was really strong all those games are tougher than any playoff games over in the East, even if you get the crossover. I, look, I, I'm, I understand the history of the game. I really do. I understand the tradition of the East-West Grey Cup. I just think that we don't live in that world anymore. No, there changed. is nobody. Well, maybe in... The world's smaller now. Maybe. Do you think anyone in BC, if they played a BC-Calgary Grey Cup, is going, this stinks. Why do we have to play Calgary? We needed to play a team from the East. This isn't even real. No one's going to say that. No one's gonna say that. we want to see the best teams and want to see the best games. And I'm maybe they're fearful that it would be an all West final far too often and hurt TV ratings. That may be a lot closer to the truth. That may be a lot closer. Like to if the you truth. haven't got Hamilton, Toronto, Ottawa, or Montreal in a Grey Cup for five straight years, that's not good. Well, I mean, unless Saskatchewan and Calgary get in all the time, and then it's fantastic because even if no one west east of there watches, every single person in Calgary and and Regina are watching, and yeah. all of Saskatchewan. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. Don Robertson, we got a few more minutes here this hour. There was some very interesting financial news. I hate. I'll be honest with you. I hate talking finances with sports. I really do. Because I think that most people, the reason they watch sports is to step away from real life. It's an, ex- it's a, a, an escape. You, you, you do your work all day. You deal with your family budgets, whatever. You like to watch sports to have something to not think about real life. But we can't do that anymore. And on the weekend, we have seen for the last number of weeks... Money being spent on NBA players, especially, that is mind-boggling. I mean, truly crazy money. We, we were chatting about this with the panel on Friday. Connor McDavid is going to make $12.5 million a year. The best hockey player in the world, potentially, arguably. He's going to make $12.5 million a year. Kyle Lowry, 
who is nobody's best basketball player, is going to make $33 million a year. But Kyle Lowry is a pauper compared to James Harden, who just signed with Houston for 200 and he got an extension for, I think it was four years and $238 million. He's getting $46.5 million a year for in the last year of his contract. Which just... And, and the same week, he signed a deal, a shoe deal with Adidas for an additional $200 million because the $268 million, how is a guy going to survive on that? You need an extra 200 bills for that one. So... What I want to know, though, is I really believe, and I'd like to know if you believe this, there is going to come a point when, and it may have already started to happen, when money is going to kill sports. The players don't see it. There's so much money in sports right now. I really believe, I don't know how it's going to happen exactly, but money is eventually going to kill sports. They're going to drown and be choked in their own riches. They really are. I don't think any fan going to the game can associate or can identify with a guy like this. And, I, and I, maybe that's not the big deal because we've had rich players for years and years, but there comes a point when it's so ridiculous and so obscene and so over the top that I think it's going to be a problem. Well, Bobby Hall signed first ever million-dollar athlete in 1972. WHA, people, yep. People said it will never be the same. And oddly enough, they were right. But you it know hasn't what? Hasn't been the same since. Was that one? That was not one year for Bobby Hall. That was a multi-year deal. Well, yeah, but but he signed for a million dollars, right? And 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 gave the WHA credibility and and what what he did that I mean that worked right. It, they had Bobby Hall. Um, but even you're right. The, the Golden Goose is gonna. Uh, people can't relate to it, and it doesn't make any sense. And I think what's going to come back to bite some of these owners and players, how how do you get motivated to play next year when you just signed a deal to, to guarantee yourself almost half a billion dollars in income? You've yeah. already got that money made. What do you have to do? You can, I mean, I mean you could gain 75 pounds. I mean, I, I, that's not going to happen. But what you're talking about, is interesting because now everybody judges. When you listen to talk shows and everything else, it's like, are you kidding me? We're paying that bum $8 million a year. We're paying that. Look, the Toronto Raptors just did a salary dump. They, they, they traded uh, uh, Damari Carroll to uh, New Jersey. Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn, yeah. Right? And had to send two first-round draft picks to get this bag of fleas out of town. So... Now, how do the Raptors justify doing that and eating that kind of a mistake? <clears throat> so you're right; it's gonna, it's gonna, the worm's gonna turn, and it's gonna backfire on them because they've just traded a mistake because he didn't produce. He maybe it was because he made too much money. There was a time, I mean, when you talk about Bobby Hall, and that was 1977, something Two. like that, 72. 72 that he signed that contract? Yeah, okay. because he wasn't allowed to play in the Summit Series. Right, you're correct, of course. But there was a time, leaving Bobby Hall aside, NHL players made good livings at that time, but most of them, their career was short, so they would make, their good living was four or five times the salary of a professional person. So if you were a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant or someone, yeah, the hockey player made a lot of money relative to you, but it was not an exponential. It was, as I say, it was... You it could was, kind of relate to it. They, 
athletes still lived in the same neighborhoods as the average yeah. people because they, yeah, they'd make four times the amount, but their career was over at 32 or 33. That had to last them. And so that's the, that is now we're talking, if you're making $46 million a year, I don't have my calculator fired up in front of me, but that means that the average person, let's say the average person, I think this is high, but let's say the average person is making $70,000 a year. How many years do you have to work? to make $46.5 million. And my point is, always, the answer, the thing was, I have to look after my family. How many generations of your family? You could literally, with that money, be looking after your family for the next 12 generations. And the again, the point becomes, I, I just believe that somehow, whether it's the fact that the ticket prices and the cost of everything else are going to have to continue going up to pay for this stuff, or whether it's because there's no access to these athletes because they don't live in the same world as you now, or whether it's because the way athletes are being brought up now because you see that kind of money and so stuff is happening. It's, I really believe it's going to kill sports. Not today, not next week, but if this thing continues, if this incremental, and it's not even incremental anymore, if this growth continues, Don, it somehow it's going to strangle the life right out of sports. I really believe it. One thing that stopped happening is that people have stopped saying, you know what? It's got to stop now. This is too much. People said that for when Muhammad Ali signed a multi-million dollar deal to fight. This is it. It, it cannot go any higher. Those words don't come out of experts anymore because nobody knows where the ceiling is. But here's the thing about it. I have no issue with when Muhammad Ali was the most famous man on the planet. I have no issue with Muhammad Ali being paid exorbitant amounts of money because he was the one guy who was at the very top of the pecking order. I have no problem with Michael Jordan being paid extravagantly or Wayne Gretzky making all kinds of money. Those are unique cases and those guys are the best of the best of the best. Kyle Lowry is making $33 million a year. He's a nice basketball player. But if you were drafting a dream team to go to the Olympics like in 1996 in Barcelona, was it 96, 94, 92, 92. If you were drafting a 92 dream team where Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, Kyle Lowry's not on that team. Well, he's only 10 years old. Kyle, if you put together the 12 best players, Kyle Lowry's on a team. Then you have a second American team for the Dream Team 2. He's not on that team. Kyle Lowry might be on the third grouping of players. Maybe. And you might even go to the fourth team before you get to Kyle Lowry. And he's making $33 million a year. That's where, to me, it's just completely... Why would you put it like that? It's awful. <laughs> You're right, though. He, like, you can't, you can't, the very, 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 very top guys who define their sport in any sport, I'm fine with them getting paid. Whatever they can get paid, I'm fine with that. It's the, it's the second echelon down that are now making such crazy amounts of money that you say, this is unsustainable. When, when the second tier guys are making or over third tier. $30 million a year, you got a problem. Connor McDavid? They could have. He will be worth twenty to twenty-five million dollars to the Oilers. The sure, he Oilers. Will. Sure, he will. Because of what he can sell. No, they, th- they have a hard cap and can't pay him. And the other part is, I said, just said the very, 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 very top guys exactly in the sport. Right. I'm Good okay example. with Bobby them. Orr, all those guys. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. We have heard now on this show 
on this station in the spec at CHCH, anywhere you go to get your Hamilton information. For weeks now, stories about idiocy, and there's no other word for it, idiocy at Hamilton's Waterfall. Specifically, it seems Albion Falls being one of them. There's others. But weekend, week after week, but especially weekends, weekend after weekend, there are just endless rope rescue calls. Fire department has to go out there and people who have fallen in to a giant open hole in the ground because somehow they couldn't see that there was a giant open hole in the ground covered in rocks. I mean, if you have any kind of self-preservation impetus, you would think me falling a long way to a jagged rock bed below would be a really bad thing. But apparently a lot of people go, ah, I can take it or something because we have rope rescue after rope rescue after rope rescue with people injured and worse. So you would think though, in time that with everybody hearing this, people would start to catch on that there would be some sort of, huh, maybe, maybe. I shouldn't go near the edge where I could fall onto hard rock many stories below. This would be a logical leap of logic that you would come to. If you heard week after week that crossing the highway without looking both ways would be a bad idea because week after week people were being run over, you would like to think that the average person would say, yeah, you know, I'm going to look both ways or maybe not even cross that highway. There are things we just don't do because it's just damn potentially damaging. Not this. We still apparently are doing this. And here's proof. I'm going to bring in my next guest. Scott Gardner is the chief photographer at the Hamilton Spectator. Now I'm bringing Scott in today because on the weekend, Scott was assigned or chose, I'm not sure, we'll find out, to go and basically see what was happening at Albion Falls, see if anybody was learning their lessons. Scott, how are you tonight? I'm good, thanks. So you go down to Albion Falls, and it was, what, 3 o'clock on Saturday, roughly, give or take? Yeah, it was about, uh, yeah, about 3 o'clock. I was on my way back to the office. I thought I'd swing by and see what was going on. Okay, and so you decide to go by. Now, first of all, when you get there, clearly nobody is going to the waterfalls on a Saturday, correct? Well, this is a Sunday. This was or Sunday, sorry, on a Sunday. Yeah, I figured, well, I was on my way back to the office, and I'd been asked to, to sort of, since the city had put up a fence, uh, a more permanent fence since the, the temporary one just got pushed aside the week before, that uh, just to go see if anyone was, you know, if the fence was working. So I, I swung by there on my way back around three, and I was kind of hoping, you know, how long am I going to have to wait to see if I can catch someone climbing the fence? <laughs> I, I just, by the timestamp on my camera, I took the first picture at about 3.08, of people climbing through the, uh, around the chain link fence. There's like a, the railings that go down on the stairs. So squeezing in there. And, and are we talking about a person? No, there was, there was a family, an old, uh, an elderly gentleman, a man and a woman and two young children. So that picture, I took that at 308 and by 311, about 11 to 12 people had already squeezed through that same opening while I stood there. (laughs) And you told me today, one of them, was a young family, and the father was handing, how old was the child, was handing a child, a toddler, to he mom. Looked, looked to be about two, so mom goes through, and then and then dad hands the two-year-old over to mom, and then they go down. And <laughs> now, they're climbing onto the stairs, but they like it's it's sealed off, and there's a sign saying keep out. And, and, and it was, what struck me was there was no hesitation. People just, it was just, that's the way in. They didn't kind of suss the situation out and see, you know, should I go? How am I going to get, they just walked right through. And there's over also, and over and over. there's another sign there too, though. 
yeah, yeah, it says state of the mark trails. There's a sign that says, I think it's just, uh, you know, danger, steep drop, you know, stay out. Um, and that's, that's a new sign that the city had put out. Um, but that on the chain link fence, but people are just disregarding that completely. Okay. So, so you're there for three, four minutes already. And there's right. already like just a trail of a, a stream of people going through, not paying right. any attention to the sign or the fence for that matter. So right. clearly yeah. the city's efforts have been wildly successful already. Well, I mean, to, to be, to be fair, they put a gate at the top of the stairs and they didn't, I guess they had to fence off the railing. I guess they have to make it physically impossible for these people, I'm assuming, because otherwise the signage and the big gate wasn't enough. And so I thought, well, I've got enough of that. I, these people could be winding their way down to the bottom, right? That doesn't mean that they're, they're doing I mean, they're still not supposed to use those trails because they're dangerous. But So I thought if I could find someone maybe, you know, by the edge. And again, within, within 10 minutes, I had about six people standing, peering, like literally over the edge opposite the falls on the, on the opposite side of a metal guardrail. And then two individual guys standing actually on the waterfall edge where it's wet standing, peering over the precipice. So just so I'm clear, literally right on the edge. So if they took one more step, they plummet to their death. Yes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, this is going really well. <laughs> I, didn't think, I think it was like, uh, I was joking. It's like shooting stupid fish in a barrel. You know, there were so many people just disregarding it and the place was packed. And I mean, I understand there were a lot of people at the bottom, um, looking out but then i you know and that that's you know it's not dangerous down there it's getting down there but the people standing on the edge just astounded me and did they look like they were concerned about their safety well the one guy one guy watched he, he went through the chain link fence then probably there was another uh snow one of those orange plastic snow fences he just hopped right over that and walked right up to the edge of the falls and peered over and and it was around, I'm thinking, okay, I, like, what am I going to do? I've got enough pictures, and that's when I heard the sirens. <laughs> so, so there's a rescue. This is now about 25 after. So I've been there about 17, 18 minutes, and I've seen more <laughs> risky stuff and disregard for any fencing and signs. And then, of course, there's a rescue, and it, uh, I, I just, it, was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> so again, it all happened. to be clear, you didn't go there to cover another rescue because the spec has no. done that. We've sent photographers along for a lot of rescues. That was not why you went. This just happened to, while you happened to yeah, be there. Well, I, I actually got a call from the office saying, hey, there's a rope rescue at Albion Falls. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm here. And it, it, it wasn't, I mean, it came in as a rope rescue. And what it was, I think, ironically, it looks like someone had tripped climbing through the, the, uh, the railings at the foot of, so they never even got onto the, much onto the trail, I think, and they broke their leg there. Uh, I'm not sure that's what happened, but that's where they were, right at the bottom of the stairs. So, had, had, Did mean, it cross your mind at all when you're standing there watching the two idiots at the top of the falls? Did it cross your mind that one of these guys could actually fall? Yeah. Oh, I mean, they, like they're standing on wet rocks. I mean, there were a couple of younger guys down, down in the waterfalls, that, you know, climbing along the wet rocks and you know, I guess getting, you know, cooling off in the, in the falls. And I said, well, you know, if they fell, it's still, it's still probably about 12 feet. It would still hurt. And it'd be really easy because they're, they're barefoot and they're walking on the wet rocks and there's water running past them. You know, the other two, if they'd fallen, I'm sure they would have been killed because they were right at the top of the falls and it's straight down. Like it's, it's a good drop. Were you I, talking with Scott Gardner, who was a spec photographer, who was, who was at Albion Falls on Sunday. Were you surprised 
when you with what you saw honestly like when you you're a, i mean we all think okay these rope rescues i think anyway these things happen because someone was oh they were a little bit careless and they were sort of a rare thing and they slipped and slipped off the edge I, what you're describing to me is just like wanton disregard almost for your own safety oh absolutely yeah like i i to be honest with you i really wasn't terribly surprised i was surprised at how how it didn't take much time i thought you know i could be here for a bit but i know i'm going to get someone sneaking it like going around the barrier or i'll probably get somebody and i had no idea it would be like it would take me 15 20 minutes to get more pictures than i needed including a rescue like it was (laughs) i i I, it was it was unbelievable and and people continued as the firefighters are dismantling they have to dismantle the gate at the top of the stairs because they want to bring this woman up as they're doing that, people are still trying to get like that. Firefighters had to tell people to get back because <laughs> people and people were still coming up from below, walking on top of the trampled plastic fence from last week, and while the firefighters are rescuing this woman. It was just, it was a really bizarre scene, I have to say. Uh, Jeff Mahoney, who's a columnist with the paper, also was there on the weekend to write about this because it's been going on. And he says he's sta- in his column. You can read it at thespec.com. He's standing there taking notes, looking very journalistic. And someone came up to him and said, hey, how do you get down to the edge? And when he said, you're not really supposed to do that, the person says, well, I think I'll try anyway. Yeah. And off they go. And so, okay, Scott, you now standing there, you were there 20 minutes, whatever it was, and you see this stuff happening. There's a lot of people who are listening right now who have heard about this, who have followed the reports of this, who haven't actually been down to watch this. You've seen it. There is lots of discussion about whether or not it is unreasonable for the city to look at some kind of charge, fine, whatever you want to say, for people who require help to get out of there. Looking at the behavior of the people that you saw, is it unreasonable to say if you fall in based on your behaviors, it would be unfair to you to charge you something for your stupidity? Or was it so stupid that you say, no, of course they should be charged? Well, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I, I think the reason to do that would be to, as a deterrent. And I don't think there's any single person that goes there thinking they're going to fall. Of course Nobody not. thinks they're going to need to be rescued. So I don't saying that if you do fall, you're going to have to pay for your rescue would, would dissuade people. Like it's, it's unfortunate. You know, I, I think a lot of people just want to get to the bottom of the falls and look up and there are other ways to do it. It's just, this is the fastest apparently, but you know, other than an electrical fence, I don't know what's going to keep people <laughs> yeah. away because it's, you know, I, I there were probably 11 firefighters and EMTs there, three police officers, the roads closed. I mean, it was all, again, a lot of, when they're there dealing with this because someone just can't follow a sign, which is really stay out, and they're climbing over the barriers and they fall, where, you know, what about a real legitimate, not that this isn't a legitimate emergency, but you know what I mean, not out of just carelessness. What are they not doing? Where are they not able to go while they're dealing with mm. yet another one of these silly rescues? And, and I mean, you know, I, I uh, yeah, kind of torn on it because it, it's a it's a beautiful spot, and I can see why people want to see it. I I don't get why people want to stand on the edge because that just seems like I don't I wouldn't even need a sign to say don't stand on the edge of a waterfall. Like yeah, you know, yeah, especially I mean, as I they say with a precipitous drop down to a hard yeah. rock below. Yeah, it's like you were using, you were talking about the highway. I don't need a sign saying don't run across the highway, even though it's a quick way to get somewhere you want to go. I, I don't need a sign. I'm not going to do it. It's just not safe. So um, I, I don't know what the city's going to do. It's it's tricky because it's it's you know it's a it's a beautiful spot and and people want to appreciate it. And if they're silly and just disregard their own safety, 
I mean, you could say that about a lot of things where where people, you know, a lot of silly accidents, you know. Well, and you were saying, I'm just going to let you go, but I appreciate it. But the, uh, the, the other part is you were saying, I think, today you told me that partway through the afternoon, you're there for, tw- again, you're there 20 minutes. This all happens in 20 minutes. This is the part that blows me away. It's not like you yeah, had camped yeah. out there for the weekend. Oh, no, and that's what we were worried about. We were worried about, you know, you might have to spend too much time there. And I don't, I don't know. I don't have, a, I mean, it was near the end of my shift, and I, I had to start filing some stuff from earlier. And, and this was like, boy, that was easy. I can't. <laughs> but I, the ice cream truck it. even came by. Yeah, well, the parking lot's packed, so it's overflowing. It's obviously a popular spot. People have been parked along the trail, so they're all ticketed. And then an ice cream truck shows up. I mean, that's where I'd go because there's piles of people. And, and people continue to try and get, get in as, as they've sealed off the road. Um, I don't know. There must have been 30 people at the bottom that I saw and, and a constant stream of people just going in there, so... It is, uh, it is, it is to wonder. It really is. I just, uh, I, I, I can't wrap my head around it. And I, you know, Scott, listen, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about it. Thanks Not so much. Uh, that is Scott Gardner, photo editor, photo chief from the Hamilton Spectator. But look, there is, okay, he didn't go down for the whole weekend. He drops in and in a, a brief snapshot, pardon the pun, sees all this stupidity. How in the world can people be this amazingly, ridiculously unaware and careless. That's what I don't get. And so while Scott was choosing his words carefully, I won't. (laughs) Because, look, if you can't understand that standing on the edge of a large waterfall with water actually going by your feet, so you're on slippery rocks, and you are, if you saw the pictures that he took, six inches away from the ledge, six inches. And you can't understand that this is incredibly dangerous and that you stand a chance of being unbelievably hurt, if not killed. I have absolutely no problem if someone walks up to you and gives you an enormous fine. What does it cost? I mean, Scott was saying about the number of people who are required, the EMTs and the fire and the police and everyone else who had to respond to that, and makes a great point. If they're there having to rescue somebody with a rope rescue, what are they? where are they not responding? Who's having an emergency who can't get help then because it's backed up? And if you figure that, let's say it took, I think he said the number was a lot higher, but let's say it was 10 people that it took to respond to one of these things for an hour and a half. Well, what do you think the salaries were that were involved in that and the equipment and everything else? If the city wants to charge people five grand for standing on the edge or getting too close or whatever else, I have absolutely no problem with that. I have, I have less than no problem with that. If you are dumb enough, and there's no other word for it, if you are dumb enough to get that close and be that careless and have that little consideration for your own well-being, clearly you have that little consideration for also for your bank account. If you're willing to play with your life, how can money really matter to you? And Scott's right. It should be a deterrent, but how do you make something a deterrent? You slap a few people with some of these fines and then it gets out there that if you do get on the ledge, you're going to get hit with a massive fine. I, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. You just heard Scott talking. I bring up the topic again. I'm asking you again. Do you have any problem with the city coming up with exorbitant 
ridiculously big fines for people who would put themselves at risk. And the point is, it's not themselves. Okay? It's not themselves at risk that's the big problem. If you are careless, if you don't, if, if you're, let's go back to the word, if you're dumb enough that you're willing to stand six inches from the edge of a, edge of a huge waterfall, you surely don't really, really care about yourself, but you also don't care about the people who now are going to have to put themselves at risk to rescue you. That to me is the bigger problem. If you fall in, it's your own fault. I'm sorry. I have great compassion for you. I don't want anyone to fall in. That's not what I'm arguing. But if you make yourself fall in, that is your own doing. And I'm, I hope they rescue you and I hope that you get better. But I'm more concerned for the firefighter that has to lower himself or herself down now and gets hurt doing it or something else that happens. Or the person, as Scott said, who somewhere else in town can't get an emergency response because they're all tied up doing a rope rescue. That is my problem with it. It's the selfishness of the whole thing. This isn't just about you. The world isn't just about you, but that's how people seem to think. If I can stand on the ledge, I, I can tempt fate. It's not just you that you're tempting. Eddie, how are you tonight? Good, uh, Scott. What do you think about this? Are you okay if the city was to come up with a massive fine for people who did this? Well, uh, this this problem, Scott, is only escalating. Yes. And there should be signs there, $5,000 fine if you climb the fence and get trapped. So you're on board with the fine idea? Exactly, because it's only escalating. And uh, people are stupid. You can't, you can't fix stupid. You know, Eddie, I, I generally don't like to call people stupid, but when you see the pictures that Scott took on the weekend at this place, I don't know of another word that you can apply to them. It is absolute, utter stupidity knowing what's been happening. I just I don't get it, Eddie. Listen, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. It is, it is stupid. It is stupid. And if you do, I I don't want to say if you do it, you're stupid. Maybe there's some other thing going on. But if you're there for the sole purpose of some kind of thrill, all right? Look, I I understand that there are people who have mental health issues, all right? That's, That's not what we're talking about here, all right? If you're someone who, that's a different discussion, I'm talking about the thrill seeker who has decided to walk out to the edge of the ledge. All right. Not the person who is in distress emotionally or mentally or with depression. That's, those are two different things. That's, that's something that, you know, hopefully if it was someone who was having a real issue, you're dealing with a whole different thing. I'm just talking about the people who walk out there because they think, Hey, this would be really cool to stand on the ledge. Those people don't care about themselves and they clearly don't care about other people who may have to go to great effort to help them. And Scott, Scott Gardner, who was just on, was absolutely right about another thing. He was right on a lot of points, but that is nobody thinks they're actually going to be the one to fall in. Well, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Go to the paper or anywhere else that has it. Go to the obituary page every day. And tell me how many of those people woke up that morning thinking, I'm going to die today. 
Now, some people are very sick. I understand that. But anybody who's been in a car accident and been killed, do you think any of them woke up that morning thinking, you know what? Today's the day I'm going to die. Not one of them. Not one of them. You go do something stupid, it could happen. And someone else is going to have to bail you out. I, listen, 5000 bucks. I got no problem with a $5,000 fine. And that should be the starting point. And if you're really dumb enough to do it a second time, I don't say you go to 10000 I say you go to 25000 the second time. This is not an issue. This is not a situation where you can put forward a defense that says, well, for some particular reason, I had to be there. The, well, maybe. If your friend just fell in, maybe you had to go try and see what was going on. But that is, your friend shouldn't have been there then. You shouldn't have, you should have told your friend not to go there. The point is, this is just complete stupidity. And again, I, I appreciate Scott coming on. I When he told me the story this morning at work, which is why I wanted to have him on, I, could, I thought he was making it up at first because there's no way we could have that many dumb people. And yet then he starts showing me the pictures and just dozens of frames of people crawling through fences and crawling over fences and getting down by the, the edge and standing in the water. Doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. We will take a quick break here. Uh, Radley at 900chml.com. If you, are, if you have some thoughts and you didn't want to say them on the air, I understand that. Some people are a little shy about it, but Radley at 900chml.com. You can send your thoughts in writing if you feel more comfortable doing it that way. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. If you were telling someone or if you were going to do it yourself, where to go, what to see in Canada, if you were, if you had time, if you had money, if you were going to do something, what would you go see? It's an interesting list that is on here. I don't know what you would have on your list. Radley at 900chml.com. Send me a a quick note. What would be the thing or things that you would have to go see? You were telling someone that you're coming to Canada. You have to go see this. Anywhere in the country, what is the thing that you have to go see? Well, here here are 15 things that are on this one list that I found that is not complete. I grant you there are some things on here or there are things not on here that I would definitely include. But let's go through some of these and tell me where you agree, where you disagree. Will is going to jump in on this. Uh, Starting with number 15, I already disagree with this, mostly because everything I know about this place, and I actually, I forgot, I have been to Winnipeg. Everything I've read about this, not everything, a lot of things I've read about or heard about this, it's just controversy because one man's human rights oppose another person's human rights and vice versa. The Canadian Museum for Human Rights has been just a flashpoint for controversy and not agreeing on what is human rights and what isn't. Anyway, Will, you've never been to the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, have you? No, I have not. I, I That one, I, I'm sorry, that one I'm going to skip. I Plus, let's be honest, if I'm on vacation, I'm not really sure I want to get into the depth of arguing and dis- figuring out what human rights stuff. That, that seems a little heavy for my summer vacation. Yeah, maybe not. I, I think it would be a worthwhile trip. I want to go, but yeah, maybe not for vacation. Number 14, definitely want to do this one. Again, have never been out west except for Vancouver, but in the middle. Have you ever been to the Calgary Stampede? No. I Would, would you do the Calgary Stampede? Like, would I? Go. 
Would you oh, experience would go, the Calgary yes. Stampede? Wear the cowboy boots, wear the 10-gallon hat, <laughs> wear the jeans with the with that are pressed in front and the belt buckle that's the size of a dinner plate? I feel like if you're going to go, you have to go all out, yeah. Once upon a time, many, many years ago, a little-known fact about your host here, rode a bull in a rodeo. Seriously? Did, yes. It did not go particularly well. Um, I was at a camp that had, it was a ranch camp, and they had, uh, it was, I, I shouldn't probably describe it as a bull. It was a very large steer, but it was large enough that it was a big, snorting, snotty animal that did not like me sitting on its back, and... Um, it went particularly poorly, I might say. <laughs> um, I was wearing a, a hockey helmet and a mask just to save me, but it was um, it still ended up with great pain and great discomfort and uh, me flying through the air and landing wrongly. Wow. Yes. Uh, so those guys that get on like actual two-ton or whatever they are, bulls that are jumping around and kicking and snorting and snarling, those guys impress me. They really do. I will, last thing about this, I will tell you, never in my life, have you ever been so focused on something that you actually block everything else out? You're almost like a tunnel vision, like there's nothing, you don't hear noise, you don't know that anyone, someone could be standing beside you screaming your name and you're so focused. That's what I was when I was sitting on that thing waiting to go because I was so scared out of my mind. Anyway, there you go. Calgary Stampede, number 14, definitely on my list. Never been there, would go in a second. Uh, Vancouver, ever been to Vancouver? Yeah, a few times. I have uh, friends who live out there. Have you been to Stanley Park? Yes, I have. I and walked all through it. On a on a scale of one to ten, Stanley Park would be a what? I, I'd put it at maybe a seven. A seven. And what was great about it, and what was overblown about it? I think. Is well, it just a park? It. I, okay, I had an extra thing, but mostly it's just just a nice sort of condensed version of BC. You get a lot of BC nature with that. Maybe overblown is that it's not as wild as people make it out to be. But for super nerds like me, it's great because every science fiction show from the last 10 years just use Stanley Park as anywhere. You watch Stargate SG-1. They go to Stan- They go to another X-Files. planet, it's just Stanley Park. X-Files is Stanley Park. Clark Kent Smallville, he's in Stanley Park. See, when you started talking about it was a microcosm of BC, I just thought it was a lot of people sitting around in Birkenstocks eating granola and smoking pot. <laughs> That's what I figured you were talking about. Maybe with some, some delicious Pacific salmon for lunch. I don't know if that was uh, okay. <laughs> Not my experience, but uh, n- number twelve on the list: places that you are supposed to go in this country, and I don't even know how to pronounce this properly, which is really bad because it's just not one of the things that is generally on this Grow Morn National Park or Gross Morn. I'm not sure how you're supposed to say it. I apologize. National Park, which is in Newfoundland. Um, it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site with waterfalls and cliff walls. It sounds like someplace perfect for Hamiltonians to go and fall into. Um, but it is a beautiful looking kind of fjord-like thing. I don't know. It's lovely, but we'll skip over it because I don't know how to pronounce the name. Number 11. Now, if you've been to Vancouver, you've surely been across to Victoria. Yes. Yes, family out there, actually. So Victoria's Inner Harbor. Victoria's Inner Harbor is a... Victoria, period, is a beautiful place. Um, All you have to do is ask somebody from out there. They'll tell you over and over and over how beautiful it is. Love people from BC, but we get it. We get it. All right? We understand that you think it's beautiful out there. The mountains, the sky, no snow, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we get it, okay? It's nice. Victoria's Inner Harbor. 
number 11 on the list of places you have to go to. Number 10, never been here, heard all about this place, want to go here someday in my life. I will get there someday. Bay of Fundy. Ever been to the Bay of Fundy? Nope, same situation. I assume everyone knows what the Bay of Fundy is. It's with the tides, the water comes in and goes really high and then goes out and it's it looks like just one of the coolest places and I can't believe it's just amazing to me that there could be that much different in the tide every day, but anyway, I'd love to go to Bay of Fundy. Number 9. It's not really a place so much. It just says you got to go see the polar bears of Churchill, Manitoba. All right. I don't know if I want to go all the way to Churchill to see polar bears. I can do that at the zoo or on the computer, but okay. That's, maybe the Manitoban ones are... Maybe they're very different. Yeah. The, 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 the Manitoba ones, they have uh, Winnipeg Blue Bomber colors <laughs> or, or Winnipeg Jets colors. I'm not really sure, maybe. Um, anyway, that's number nine. Number eight. Okay, been here. This is cool. Old Montreal. Have you ever been down on the cobblestone streets of Old Montreal? No, no. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it looks like Europe when you're down there and you take a horse horse drawn carriage right there on the cobblestones, and it's all it's all very uh, it's all very beautiful. Uh, once again, much like the folks out in BC, they would love to tell you how much better their city is than everywhere else in Canada, but that's okay. We you know they they live in a beautiful place. By the way, I got a list here from Phil. We'll see how many of these he nails. He says, things you must see. Uh, he, he included the Calgary Stampede, Quebec Winter Carnival, uh, Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, Montreal Jazz Festival, Toronto International Film Festival, and a couple others that we'll see if he gets right. Uh, number seven on the list. And if, by the way, if you're listening and you've been to these places, let me know. Because some of these, as I said, I've never been. This is another one. Out East, St. John's Signal Hill National Historic Site. This is where, do you know what was significant about Signal Hill? Why is it called Signal Hill? This was uh, where, arguably, the first uh, telecommunication signal was sent from. First wireless transatlantic signal was received. Was received, yes. Yeah, but it's from this top of this hill. and Yeah, yeah so that's, that's a, I mean, that's, uh, I imagine now you get great cellular service up there, too. <laughs> It's probably the best place in Canada for cellular service. There's nothing around, and the whole city is down below you, and it's very beautiful up there, too. Number six on the list, Parliament Hill. You must have been to Parliament Hill at one time or another. You must have been to Ottawa. Nope. You've never been to Ottawa? I've I've been through Ottawa, but I have not been. No, no, I've never really? done the full, the full trip. I know, it's something on my list. You've Have you driven by the Parliament buildings? Not close enough. <laughs> wow. That's very, that's interesting. I'm I'm kind of shocked by that. I, I thought everybody, I thought you had to at some point. It was just sort of either with your school, a class trip, or... It, it's still something I have to do. <laughs> yeah, well, the, clearly, yes. Uh, number five, Whistler. Okay. Uh, lovely place, I, I'm told. Never been there, but if you like skiing. Number four, Old Quebec. Very much like Old Montreal. Went here for a grade eight or grade seven class trip. And the best part about the old city of Quebec was that where we went anyway, somewhere in the lower city, there were joke shops and we bought a box. We were staying with our class at Laval University in the residence. It was in the off university time. And we bought this box of stink bombs. A bunch of us chipped in the money and our teacher 
was staying in one of the rooms at Laval, and we lifted up his mattress and laid all these stink bombs under the mattress. So when he laid down for bed, they all broke. And went, oh, this was this was this was the best class trip ever because we stink bombed our teacher right out of his room because it smelled so bad. Sadly, he figured out very quickly who had done it. <laughs> And the rest of the trip was less pleasant because we were punished for the entire time. But nonetheless, it was, uh, it was worth it. It was honestly <laughs> worth it. Mr. Harper, I still remember to this day, us all peeking out the hallway when he went into his room. And several minutes later, as we're all peeking out, he comes staggering out of his room that is now smelling like, I cannot describe what it's smelling like. And I would I would say some punishment is also the fact that you then had to be with Mr. Harper, who probably had some trouble getting rid of the stench off himself for the rest of the trip. Uh, he he didn't make us stay that close. It was more of a fury thing that was involved. Um, number three, CN Tower. You've been to CN Tower? Yes. Banff National Park in the Rocky Mountains. Never been. Nope. Never been. But that is high on the list. And number one, what do you think the number one thing they say that you must see in Canada is? And we live very close to it. That may give you a hint. Easterbrook's hot dog stand. Really? No. Oh. Niagara Falls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, there's a bias to this list. No, Niagara Falls <laughs> is, uh, is the one. Now, here's, here's a couple things. Phil wrote in another one, and I agree with him. This is one of the ones I was going to say. Skating on the Rideau Canal should have been in there. Uh, the Northern Lights, way up north, that would have been one that if I am, if I ever get the chance, I'm going to do that one. There's a few other ones. We're no time. But that, I, I look at this list and I think, you know what? We have an amazing array of different things. Like if you, the States has similar kind of things, but go over to Europe, a lot of places in Europe, and I'm not taking anything away from Europe, but many of the things that you would say to do in Europe would have a there'd be some sort of consistency to it. It's, it's an old building, old architecture, and old this and old that. This list covers everything. Like, it's amazing how many different things. Oh, the other one that I saw that was, yes, a must-do is the cross-country train that has the glass ceiling so you can go right across the country looking at all the scenery as you go along. That would also be on my list. I've done the train, not that one. I've done the train once to Quebec City. Not quite as inspiring because it was also in the middle of January. It was just freezing, stinking cold. And But yes, that is, um, I'd love to hear what else. What else should be on that list? Thanks to Phil who sent some in and some other people. But Radley at 900 CHML, what else should be on the list? What should we show people? If they were coming to Canada, what do you say? You must go and see this. This is essential. What should be on that list? The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.